You're listening to the SSPX podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For more conferences, resources, such as downloadable uh, instructions and information about Holy Week, as well as live mass times, please visit corona.sspx.online. Or for all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. So in today's meditation, we're going to be considering some of Christ's miracles. One particularly rich section of the New Testament where we can do this is Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 38 to 56. We begin. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to thy house, and tell how great things God hath done to thee. And he went through the whole city, publishing how great things Jesus had done to him. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the multitude received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man whose name was Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus, beseeching him that he would come into his house. For he had an only daughter, almost twelve years old, and she was dying. And it happened as he went that he was thronged by the multitudes. And there was a certain woman, having an issue of blood, twelve years, who had bestowed all her substance on physicians, and could not be healed by any. She came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, and immediately the issue of her blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who is it that touched me? And withal denying, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee, and press thee, and dost thou say, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Someone hath touched me, for I know that virtue is gone out from me. And the woman, seeing that she was not hid, came trembling and fell down before his feet and declared before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was immediately healed. But he said to her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go thy way in peace. As he was yet speaking, there cometh one to the ruler of the synagogue, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble him not. And Jesus, hearing this word, answered the father of the maid, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be safe. And when he was come to the house, he suffered not any man to go in with him, but Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. And all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Weep not, the maid is not dead, but sleeps. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. But he, taking her by the hand, cried out, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit returned, and she arose immediately, and he bid them give her to eat. And her parents were astonished, whom he charged to tell no man what was done. So let's go back to the beginning. Verse 38. Now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, So this man is a demoniac, or he had been. Remember, this is when our Lord um, came to the country of the Gerasenes. And you remember he cast out the devils and they go into the the swine. The swine run headlong into the river and are drowned. And it's funny because the Gerasenes come and they ask him to leave. You know, please go away. Um, And yet this man whom he had healed, who had freed of this demonic possession, he beseeches our Lord that he might stay with him. And this is really the right attitude for a sinner, full of confidence, full of gratitude, 
wanting to stay close to our Lord. We see St. Peter um, when he's first struck by our Lord's power and holiness. Remember, Peter says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And this is this is not the uh, the right attitude, let's say. It's, it's maybe a demonstration of Peter's precipitousness. And yet Christ does not accept this man to be um, one of his, let's say, intimate followers. You know, he sends him rather home. Um, consider, though, um, what would have happened had the possessed man insisted on going with our Lord. If he had not obeyed our Lord, we can say that little or nothing um, would have been accomplished. When I do what I want to do versus what, what God really wills, well, then many graces are lost. But because the man obeys, he goes back to, to his home, to his town. Um, because he obeys our Lord, a leader of the, of the synagogue and, and many other people um, come to Christ. Um, Jesus sends him away, but but it isn't a rejection, we would say. This young man, um, is he ends up being a kind of apostle without even knowing it. And it's certain, you know, maybe in, in you know uh, the application to our own life or in the life of uh, people around us, um, it's certain that there are certain sins that would preclude one from entering the priesthood or from entering the convent or entering religion. But that doesn't equal a rejection by, by Christ or a lack of love um, by Christ for that individual soul. But God, again, he might allow that sin um, in order to destine that soul for a different mission. So our Lord says to him, verse 39, return to thy house and tell how great things God hath done to thee. And he went through the whole city publishing how great things Jesus had done to him. Now, notice that our Lord doesn't demand that he go through the whole town. In fact, he tells him to go to his house. Christ doesn't ask a great deal of him or from him. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't insist that this man go track down and, and, and see and apologize to all those people who he had been terrorizing. Um, he considers the, man, the man's embarrassment or maybe the people's fear. And so he tells him simply, simply to go home. And if anyone asks, you tell them what happened. But the man is moved by his generosity to do even more than what is asked, and he does. He goes through the city, and he's publishing um, everything that that God had done to him or done for him. Um, and so, too, when, when God does good for us, I mean, obviously, um, especially after a retreat, all the graces that we receive, we want to share with others those, those lights and the graces and the good things that God has done for us. Verse 40, and it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the multitude received him, for they were all await, waiting for him. Now again, consider the success of the tool. Um, the whole town is going out. The whole town is waiting for Jesus. They go out to meet him, whereas before they were, at, they were begging him, please go away. Please depart. This is, this is scary. We don't want you here. <laughs> you just, you know, killed or caused, caused to die, you know, all of our, our swine herds. Um, and yet this man, because he obeys our Lord, um, he is a, a, an incredibly effective instrument. And this emphasizes the importance of doing God's will rather than, than our own will, rather than following our own will. And so again, because this former demoniac um, obeyed our Lord and did as he was told, um, many awaiting the redemption of Israel are now ready to hear our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, for ourselves, you know, the best sermon that we can give, of course, is a virtuous life. We don't want to, you know, wear, wear our religion on our sleeve or introduce it at inopportune times. But it's simply 
um, being normal, being being a good, virtuous Christian, living as a witness to Christ in this world. It's going to be that that is going to help to bring others to our Lord. Verse 41, And behold, there was a certain man whose name was Jairus, and he was a leader of the synagogue, and he fell down at the feet of Jesus, beseeching him that he would come into his house. Now, the synagogue, of course, was central to the life of the Jews, and so this is this is an important figure um, whom the, the, the demoniac, or the former demoniac, converts. Um, notice the humility, too, of this leader, falling down at Christ's feet. Um, how many come to the faith because of their children? We, we see it's, it's because of the, the illness of his child that he is brought to our Lord. I remember a story of uh, you know, some of the Vietnamese who were, who were Buddhist, in fact, but they would come and they would lay their children who, that were sick beneath this particular statue of St. Martin of Pours in this, this particular town where this person lived. And very often the children were, were granted the grace of, of uh, recovery, of healing. And it was that that brought these pagans then into the Catholic Church. Verse 42, For he had an only daughter, almost 12 years old, and she was dying. And it happened as he went that he was thronged by the multitudes. So we see that because of this leader, um, there are many following our Lord. This is um, something, you know, with the Jesuits in their, in their missionary uh, work, they would often target the leaders for conversion, knowing that those in a high station, um, if they could get them to convert, the, the lower classes would often follow that example. It's also a reminder, maybe for those in a high station, that they're going to be judged more severely by the example that they set. Verse 43, And there was a certain woman having an issue of blood 12 years, who had bestowed all her substance on physicians and could not be healed by any. So she's suffering from blood loss, which is obviously causing you know, the low iron counts or, or anemia. It leads to a lack of strength. And when we are weak, when, when like this poor woman, our, our strength is sapped, we have to reach out and, and strive to touch Christ. Christ will, will see this effort then, and obviously he'll reward it with many graces. And note that it's been 12 years that she's been struggling with this. Um, carrying this cross, and we can imagine maybe her bitterness, particularly um, having you know spent all of her money and and wasted all of her all of her efforts, you know, and still no cure. Perhaps even a certain uh, discouragement or frustration with God allowing this to happen. She's done everything, and having exhausted all human means, she then turns to the divine. This is something we don't want to be like here. Obviously, we use all human means that are available, you know, to 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 be healed, to overcome our illness or difficulties. But at the, at the same time, and not not waiting till after the fact. But at the same time, we have to be staying close to our Lord and asking for that that gift of healing. If God gives us medicine and doctors and and surgeries and that sort of thing, it's precisely so that we can use them. But again, understanding that that all true health and true healing is going to come through him. Verse 44, she came behind him and touched the hem of his garment and immediately the issue of her blood stopped. Now, a woman who had an issue of blood, legally speaking, in the, the Old Testament, she was considered impure, and she wasn't um, allowed to touch anyone. If she were to touch them, they likewise likewise would, would contract that legal impurity. 
And so we can imagine a certain shame, a certain concern, a certain maybe even modesty that causes her to, to, to simply touch the hem of his cloak, uh, to strive to remain hidden. And for, verse 45, and Jesus said, who is it that touched me? And all denying, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press thee, and dost thou say who touched me? When we're making a retreat, I wonder sometimes if our Lord couldn't, couldn't ask this of us, who touched me? It's possible that we can be on retreat and yet not really be striving or applying ourselves. Are we really, are we reaching out to touch our Lord? Now, all are denying it since no one touched him, we can say in a deliberate way. And it's funny because Peter focuses on the obvious. He questions Christ, you know, like, good grief. How can you, how can you even ask this, Master? I mean, you're being thronged by the multitude and you ask who touched you? The very fact that our Lord is asking, he should have understood that, hey, you know what? Maybe there's something more than meets the eye here. All right. And that's the, uh, the lesson there for us. It's a good reminder maybe to check our attitude. If our, if our superior or our spouse or our boss or whoever, or, the, or maybe the priest, if he's asking a question, all right, well, maybe there's a reason behind it. And so we don't want to give a, a, a snippy or snarky or smart-alecky, let's say, response, but to stop and consider, well, why is this being asked and, and what's the proper answer here? Verse 46 and Jesus said, somebody hath touched me, for I know that virtue has gone out from me. So this virtue, he's referring to this, this healing power that he knows has gone out from him. Now, he already knows who it is that's touched him, but he's demanding that the person come forward um, because our Lord wants our dispositions to be right, all right? So verse 47 then, the woman seeing that she was not hid, all right, she got caught, she came trembling and fell down before his feet and declared before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was immediately healed. So we see how once once she's backed into a corner, she, she confesses. And, and we certainly don't want to do that. We certainly don't want to, you know, push our luck until we get caught. She comes forward trembling for fear, and, and again, that's, that's not the right attitude to, uh, to approach our Lord either. Now, fear can be a good thing, you know, moving us to get back to confession and get our life right, but we know that, that love, as, as the charity grows in us, it more and more casts out fear, as St. John tells us. She falls down like, like Jairus, um, and, or, or even like, like ourselves at, at meditation or at prayer. We, we cast ourselves down on our knees. We, we assume a posture that's going to be conducive to helping us obtain the graces that we're looking for. And notice that she does it, we're told, before all. So at this point, she doesn't care what the people think, or she's not concerned with human respect. Verse 48, but he said to her, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go thy way in peace. And we can certainly note here the, the affectionate terms. I mean, he addresses her as daughter. We see the tenderness of Christ once we do come forward. And we hear our Lord say that her faith has made her whole. I think sometimes, you know, when our, when our world is falling apart, when we're falling apart, it's because our faith has been shaken. And yet again, if we step back from that situation, that difficulty, it has the, the effect of recentering us and bringing um, that order and that integrity back into our lives. The faith brings that integrity, brings that order, and thus brings that peace, again, when we live that faith that we profess. Verse 49, as he was yet speaking, there cometh one to the ruler of the synagogue, saying to him, thy daughter is dead, trouble him not. 
Now, it would be very easy to imagine the, the ruler becoming quite frustrated. Remember, he's gone to our Lord. Our Lord has agreed to come, and now this woman is getting in the way, and all these people are crowding around. There's this delay, and you could easily imagine him thinking, you know, my daughter is dying. Do you people, do you not care? And yet there's no indication in the gospel that he loses his patience. And yet while he's there, while he's waiting for our Lord, um, someone comes and he whispers to him, much like the, the devil might come and whisper in our ear if, uh, if we're in sin, telling us that there's no use to bother the master. Why are you even bothering praying? Why are you even bothering Christ? It's too late. You're mine. You know, I mean, look, look at those tattoos all over you. You know, you're, you're mine. You're marked. Why fight it? Why, why resist? This is, the, this is the language that the devil will use for a soul that's trying to change their life, trying to turn things around. And the ruler, of course, um, is told by our Lord, don't listen to them. Verse 50, and Jesus, hearing the word, answered the father of the maid, fear not, believe only, and she shall be safe. Fear not, we are told, to return to Christ. We have to be very open. You know, when, we, when we've made a mistake and we go to confession, we lay our cards on the table. In the spiritual life, um, we are told that secrecy is of the devil. You know, this desire to uh, to want to keep hidden or camouflage our faults and mistakes or, or confess things in such a way that maybe they don't sound too bad or maybe keep them to ourselves. When we do that, we are playing into the hands of the devil. Don't believe um, his whispers. Simply be open and trust in our Lord. Confess openly and frankly your difficulties, your faults, your temptations. And know that our Lord is going to be there to heal you. And, and again, like that woman, make you whole, like this daughter, live again. Verse 51, and when he was come to the house, he suffered not any man to go in with him, but Peter and James and John and the father and mother of the maiden. Notice that um, everyone is there making a din at the house. And and grace doesn't work in, in, uh, in noise and in agitation. It's only in the quiet of our souls when we, when we withdraw um, and we take that you know honest look at ourselves. We examine our conscience. It's only in doing that that we're going to realize that you know my soul is dead and in, and in need of help. You know if I'm in mortal sin, um, and it's only in that same quiet that we're going to be able to be healed and restored to life. It's important that we, you know, especially in this modern world, surrounded as we are by the, the noise, you know, the dictatorship of noise, as Cardinal Sarah coined it. Um, it is in silence that we're going to hear the voice of God and that we're going to be healed. Verse 52, and all wept and mourned for her, but he said, weep not. The maid is not dead, but sleeps. When Christ is near us, we see more clearly our wretchedness and we, we need to weep for our sins in order to be healed by them. And though our soul may be spiritually dead, there's still hope for us as long as we, again, stay close to our Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that is irreparable is the second death, as it's mentioned, or as it's coined or labeled in the apocalypse, which is the death of a soul that dies in the state of mortal sin, which is then obviously cut off forever from God. But as long as um, the soul still breathes, we may say that it's simply asleep and needs to go to the master. Then, or, or we could say, rather, God's grace needs to come and, and awaken that soul so that it may live again. 
Verse 53, and they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Now the world thinks that it has all the answers, and it mocks Christ to stay away. If we consider again the evil spirits, you know, broadly applying that term in in media, in film, in the in the spirit of the world, the world only considers human means when it comes to resolving difficulties. And this laughing to scorn is something that each one of us should do when we are told that something bad is is good. You know, the world will, will present things bad and they will say, hey, this is good, and we should be the ones laughing them to scorn. Verse 54, but he, taking her by the hand, cried out, saying, "Maid, arise. And this is what our Lord will say to us. He will tell us in the, in the confessional when he when he restores a soul spiritually to life, he tells that soul to arise. And of course, we see it with sinners in the gospel, you know, to go and to sin no more. Verse 55, and her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he bid them give her to eat. Now, here we can see how, how Christ's care is all-encompassing. We can see even, even Christ's common sense. It's, it's part of of being normal is is to have common sense and to have a care for our fellow man and for our guests. This girl has been sick for some time. We can imagine she hasn't been eating. And we can imagine now with her health restored, she's probably famished. And yet feeding her is probably the last thing on the parent's mind because they're so overcome um, with joy. It's it's like when, when Lazarus you know comes out of the tomb and our Lord has to tell the people, look, go, go untie him. You know, it's um, sometimes we can we can lose sight of the, the basic things when, uh, well, because of our joy or, or whatever else. But to have that common sense, our, our Lord is our Lord is good. He, uh, he certainly takes good care of us and he bids her to eat. Now, in a spiritual sense, when we are restored to life or when we're living in the state of grace, we have to eat. We have to nourish our soul. Um, it is um, during times of consolation in particular that we really need to build up our strength and prepare ourselves, as we've said before, I'm sure, um, for the storm and for the trials and the temptations that are necessarily going to come again. Verse 56, and her parents were astonished whom he charged to tell no man what was done. Now, we can certainly see the goodness of our Lord in that, in that he's not looking for praise. Um, a good example there for us to follow. When we do good, we can, um, we can fade into the background, I guess, like the, like the Lone Ranger. Um, and also the, the discretion of our Lord. Um, perhaps we can say that it's not only his desire to be humble or avoid the praise of the people, but it's also his concern for the, for the good of this little girl. Now, she was dead, and now she's been restored to life, but can you imagine her maybe going back to school or, you know, going back to play with the children in the neighborhood and being teased by the, by the children? Oh, gosh, you're that, you're that dead girl. Yuck. And, and so we, we see the care of, of our Lord. He has, um, he's told them, you know, hey, she's, she's only asleep, and in order to protect the girl, he's content to leave them. Um, with that thought. Remember, touching um, a dead person, you contract it again, a legal impurity. And so again, out of, out of discretion, you know, for the girl and concern for her good, um, our Lord tells them to, to keep this to themselves and, and keep that joy bottled up. 
Now, there's maybe one lesson here, and, and that's about being discreet when it comes to the failings or the imperfections or even the sins of, of our children or even our spouse. Um, by manifesting those, those failings, it makes it that much harder for them to improve. I mean, not only is it detraction and, I mean, a sin on our part, but it shows a, really a lack of, well, a lack of kindness, a lack of genuine concern. Um, it is something that we need to, to be aware of, knowing how easy it can be to slip. So that is it. That actually, again, went a little bit quicker than I, than I expected, 23 minutes, 24. Um, but plenty there for us to reflect upon. I really, um, I really love, as I said in the beginning, uh, the, um, you know, the, demon, the demoniac apostle you know, that our Lord sends out. And again, how, how effective his apostolate and his witness to Christ was precisely because he follows our Lord and he doesn't um, insist on, on staying, keeping that physical proximity to our Lord, but he goes and, and announces the, uh, the good word um, to the village. So that's it. Take care and God bless you.